When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Again, thank you for listening. Uh, If this is your first time and you're a big Matt Walsh fan, if you don't know him, he's been in tons of stuff, Uh, co-created the Upright Citizens Brigade, tons of great stuff. He's a funny man. You're going to learn a lot. Very interesting. But I hope that you'll uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, you'll keep listening. Subscribe. Uh, You could listen anywhere, Apple, Spotify, you could watch on YouTube. Please subscribe, write a review. It helps the podcast immensely. Thank you for tuning in and making this podcast your choice for this week. Ryan, hello. Hello. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing house therapy, man. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's what's happening with me. I think my anxiety is getting a little bit better, but uh, still working on it, man. Still working on it. I just had a big uh, uh, patron zoom call with the top tier patrons and patreon is a place where people support the podcast it's patreon.com slash inside of you i'll message you back if you join Um, they support the podcast there's different tiers and different things and perks and you get your name shouted out at the end of the podcast and lots of other great stuff so join patreon.com slash inside of you um it's cool um but uh you know on the zoom last night with the patrons we were talking about our anxieties and how it you know everyone was really like hey this podcast really helps me and it it, it makes me feel good that you know i'm helping some because it feels almost inadvertent like i don't think i'm helping people you're just talking to people sure but then things come out like their anxiety their depression and their mental health and so you know and especially you you you're you're uh forthcoming you're uh you know, you speak your mind. You tell us how it is, how you're doing. You That's know, right. I, I'm known for just you know speaking truth. You do. Just, you I speak drop truth. some truth bombs. You drop some <laughs> truth. People love Ryan Teas. That's me. They do. I get a lot of messages saying they love Ryan. I got people are starting to follow me on from Talkville. I think. Yeah. Do, do we promote me for some reason? Uh, I I always promote you. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, thank you for supporting Ryan Teas and uh, following him. Thank you for supporting the Talkville podcast. If you don't know that we're doing that, uh, Tom Welling and I, my co-star from Smallville, he was Clark Kent, of course. We're doing a rewatch podcast. Ryan is here. Um, and we watch every episode from the beginning, and then we critique it. We talk about it. And we tell stories, and the fans call in, and it's a, it's becoming a really cool thing, and uh, we're really excited. So uh, subscribe to Talkville as well. Um, asking you to do a lot um subscribe to inside of you the handles for inside of you are at inside of you podcast on the uh instagram and facebook at inside of you pod on the twitter and then uh, if you want to subscribe to talkville it's at talkville podcast i think on instagram and facebook mm-hmm. and at, at talkville pod on twitter maybe just check it out but follow us everywhere uh try to listen to both podcasts if you can and support um, I appreciate you. Uh, Tom and I, Welling, will be doing a Smallville Nights and a convention in uh, Boston this coming weekend. Friday night is Smallville Nights. We do this event, private event. We read scenes from Smallville. I put on a bald cap. He puts on the flannel shirt. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So Fan Expo Boston this weekend. Um, hopefully you're there. Hopefully you'll join us. Also, um, 
Uh, go to the Inside of You online store. There's tons of merch. There's there's Smallville stuff, scripts signed by me, lunch boxes, Smallville lunch boxes, Inside of You tumblers and coffee mugs and bunch of great stuff. There's still so many uh, so many cool things on there. So go to the Inside of You online store and also, uh, of course, um, the band, sunspin.com. Our new album's coming out like in a month or two. So get merch at sunspin.com. You can book the band. You can book a Zoom with the band. That's me. And uh, we'll zoom with each other. We'll talk. We'll we'll converse. We'll enjoy. Converse. In other words, we're talking. And talking and conversing are the same. Speaking. Things. They are. It's just a bigger word I tried to use to sound a little smarter. Um, I'm convinced. Thank you. Thank you. I just try to get by. Um, all is well. Uh, great podcast today. Thanks for joining us again. And um, hey, this is uh, this is a good one. I know that you really enjoyed this one. This guy's yeah. been in everything. Oh, he's in everything, and he's every time you see him on screen, you're like, oh, this scene's gonna be funny. Yeah, he makes just, a lot of cameos, and every time it. it's it's amazing. And what a sweet man! Oh yeah, what a sweet man! I had him right here and uh, right here in studio, and it's always fun to have the guests in studio. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. Just interviewed John Heater and Will Wheaton, and there's a lot of great guests coming up. So please continue to listen and support the podcast. Couldn't do it without you guys. And without further ado, let's get inside of Matt Walsh. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I've uh, You've had been a long, in everything. I've had a flourishing career as a character yeah. actor. This is my camera. Work to this one, or yeah, you could work or to talk that to one. you, Michael. You can just talk to me. <laughs> Do you prefer Michael or Mike? Probably. You know, Michael. My, Mike sounds collegiate. Like you're, you know, the collegers. Right. Like, hey, Mike's throwing a bash. Okay, you're a grown up. I, I feel well. You're fifty. I just turned fifty. You saw the big uh, balloons when you walked in. Um, what do I need to know about my fifties? Oh, I'm ahead of you. Because um, you told me you're ahead of me. My you. wife threw me maybe the most glorious party ever of my lifetime. She, I was in Baltimore working. She organized an incredible surprise party with like my buddies from high school, uh, the people I was working, like the cast I was working with, like all of my family members. They all flew out to Baltimore from various parts of the country and then kept me in the dark. Meanwhile, I was planning my own birthday party with people I was working with and everyone's you know, like, imagine you're in on the surprise and I'm going, Hey, so Michael, I'm going to have some people for dinner. And you're like, okay, I'll be there. Like everyone's lying to me because right. they know Morgan has set up this grand surprise. And then it was at this really cool, like bar pizza place with video games and old ski ball games. It was incredible. And I was completely and utterly surprised. Never really. I had one other surprise party in my life, but this was just, lights out and my favorite moment or one of my most memorable moments is walking in the door and my mother was there and my mom doesn't like to travel did you she cry? Even came out did you cry no i just turned to her i'm like what the fuck are you doing here <laughs> but it wasn't it sounded mean but it was more like i couldn't contextualize any of it it didn't dawn on me that it was a fully organized surprise party and that she was also in on it you how know did like that when feel? you're in those moments yeah how did that feel Oh my God, it was so wonderful and so like overwhelming and, you know, just incredibly festive and, you know, just we went crazy all night. It was so fun. Do you know I've never had a surprise party? No one's ever really? thrown a surprise for me. Really? Yeah. Well, you're 
sort of putting it out there. I'm Ryan? sort of putting it out there, Ryan. It's too late now. My fiftieth. No, but you have next birthday. I mean, it would be a surprise if it was after your fiftieth, wouldn't it be? Yeah, anything would be a surprise. Yeah. I just no one's ever thought. You know, I guess because I organize a lot of my own stuff, like you were saying, you organize yeah. your own kind of thing. Like, let's get together, let's do this, and people think, oh, he is, he does it, he does everything. But yes. it'd be nice if somebody took the reins. It is, and I'm not super organized, but for that, for the fiftieth, I was. I was like, well, I got to do something. I'm out here. I'm not home. So I started organizing things, and I even like they even had the lady who the the woman who ran this nice restaurant I liked in on it so i would say i need to change that reservation to 12 i need to change it to 14 and every time she's like okay i'm writing it down 14 and like no there's no reservation morgan was ahead of the game it was incredible she was was really which i probably owe her a lights out surprise party which i'm not looking forward to because it'll make me so anxious and it won't be as good as hers but i will try to do it really you're gonna try and throw a surprise party at some point yeah to to kind of return the favor that's nice yeah but what are the 50s like? Do you notice any difference? Do you notice a change? I mean, you've also got three kids. You're married. You've got, you know, a lot going on. I mean, do you, do you feel more overwhelmed in your 50s? Do you feel more laid back? Do you kind of know who you are? What, what is it about the 50s that I could look forward to or not look forward to? Well, I can only characterize my own 50s, and none of it was, like, uh, driven by the decade and my, like, assessment of, like, okay, where should I be in my 50s? It was more of a natural, like, I think – the first thing I'm probably like more chill. Like you talk about chill. I think I'm just less uh, eager to go out and do things necessarily. I'm just more chill. I'm happy to be at home. I'm happy to be with the kids. Uh, I've probably like toned down my like energy of partying like by a hundred percent. Were you a partier? I think so. Yeah. I, I like to go out a lot. Like I lived in New York forever and uh, I don't know. And I did a lot of like shows like where you're always like doing a comedy show and you go out for a couple of right. years after not partying nothing hard or anything but i feel like festive evenings were like once a week sure right i don't even think i'd do that anymore you know yeah do you feel worse after a drink the next day you could feel it if it's a drink yeah I, but i don't like i said i kind of put it all down like i really don't do anything i used to smoke weed i don't smoke weed anymore I really is like, it just because you just don't feel like doing it or is it uh, I think it was a cure the the booze was um I don't recover so it was like I don't like I I, I still have drinks like I'll have a beer or two but I never go hard anymore like right. ever and for weed it was more a curiosity of like am I like smoking too much so I just kind of put it down and I enjoyed not doing it for a while and so I've continued that right if that makes sense it does make sense yeah well, look, you've done so much work as we were just talking about. I mean, you know, you got this new movie, Press Play, which I watched the trailer for, and it looks really sweet. Like, it, it looks like a, a tearjerker. Yes, it is. It is. The guy, I have a very small part, but the guy, Greg Bjorkman, who directed it, he came out of that camp, like The the Fault in Our Stars. Did you ever see that yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. He was sort of mentored by the guy behind that. And so it's very much of that energy where like people are having these wonderful conversations about life and it's about love. And and so it has that energy. Not that it's the same movie in any way. So, But that's think, a great movie to reference. Well, I don't know that. They're probably apples and oranges because I haven't seen that one in a while. But, but the yeah. feel. The yeah, feel, the feel is there. Yeah, the that's, feel of it. I think that's the genre perhaps maybe right. they were trying to get. And Greg's a wonderful guy, and so uh, I said, sure, I'll do it. So, And look, Mike McKintock from Veep, he, we were just quoting you, uh, you know, two Emmy Award nominations. I mean, 
You've done so many movies. What I does mean, that get you, anyways? But seriously, I mean, but you've, you've been nominated. Been, I, I was nominated for a. Uh, I won a Saturn Award, and my friends immediately said, "Well, a it was better than award? the Uranus Award, Michael." <laughs> you know, that's the kind of shit that I. What's get. a Saturn Award? If I it may? was kind of a sci-fi, it was when Smallville just came out, and it was like a newcomer, best newcomer, and it was like I was, I was there with Spielberg, and I took a picture with Spielberg, and it was the Saturn Awards. It was a nice thing. I was so very. Was the Saturn Awards its own ceremony, or was it yeah. inside the Emmys? No, it was its own awards, its own thing. Did Saturn cars run this? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't think so okay. i don't think they did okay i'm just curious i didn't know but look you've done all these things i mean the founding member of the upright citizens brigade which i think i saw is it possible i saw you in new york in 97 yeah very possible because i think you were were you with three arts management i was with dave becky at yes the time. that's how i kind of knew you loosely we arrived out of chicago the four of us and so becky was uh my manager at the time and I feel like I would see you in the office or whatever. We would right. have crossover through that. And New York was also a small scene. Kind right. Of. Yeah. I mean, look, I look at your career and I then I go back and I look at like what you were doing in high school when you were like a tight end in high school. Let's go. Tight let, end. Oh, my God. You were a backup tight end in, in high school. I so were you take po- this you, off my Wikipedia. You're the second interview. Were you that popular? <laughs> I was popular. I was like, uh, I had like six or seven really good mates that I always rolled with. And I played a little bit of sports and I worked at a country club. And uh, so I guess I was popular and I was like a class clown type. I was disruptive in class, which <laughs> right. uh, I was probably looking for attention yet not knowing how to channel. I hadn't really discovered theater yet. So I was sort of like understanding like what performing is and figuring that out too. Because you had how many brothers and sisters? I have uh, three older brothers and three younger sisters. So I'm one of seven. Were you in the middle? Yes. Does that explain anything, do you think? I think there is the birth order. I buy into the birth order uh, personality traits <laughs> that if you're s- surrounded by many siblings and you're kind of stuck in the middle you uh, probably need to find ways to get attention or to separate yourself from the pack. And I think that definitely applies to some elements of my personality. And one thing I learned about middle children, which you guys might find interesting, is I recently took a ghost tour in Savannah. And during the yellow fever epidemic, people did, it was kind of like early COVID. They didn't know how it spread, but people were dying left and right. And so if you had an uncle who died, you had to get the body to the graveyard and you would like knock on this crypt and like put it in this crypt or whatever. Wow. They would always send the middle child to go do that because they were expendable. You wouldn't send the oldest and you wouldn't send the youngest. Why was the middle kid suddenly expendable? Because everybody agreed that they're not going to be exceptional. (laughs) They're just like the baby is the baby and the oldest, especially if it's a boy is like the future and the estate's going to go to him. But the kids in the middle were expendable. That's terrifying. It's a true thing, which I found interesting. Wow. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> Okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, 
It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more. 
and even stack sales on top of cashback. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What was it like growing up, though, with so many siblings? Was it, uh, did you feel like you were the forgot? Because I always felt like I was forgotten. My brother actually said this to me. He woke up and he wrote down his thoughts. He's like, hey, I had these nightmares. And I just wrote down all these thoughts. And I just realized how, you know, ignored you were or during our childhood. And I go, what? what? During your childhood? Yeah. He's like, he's like, nobody paid any attention to you. I just felt like no one ever listened to you. And I was like, wow, somebody finally gets me. But that's good. You got that at an early age. What do you mean? Your brother revealed that no, to you. No, he revealed that to me about a month oh, ago. Oh, sorry. I thought this was when you were kids. <laughs> no, like he had a no. Come, a no, coming, that would have. Yeah. Like a revelation. The no, this just happened. Okay. All right. <laughs> On the back end of your life, let's right, say. Right. So <laughs> your it, childhood. It was kind of startling. Yeah. To, you know, were, was it like that for you? Was it because there were so many kids that, you know, that mom and dad kind of overlooked you and that, that kind of made you a little rambunctious and rebel and. Yeah, I think unconsciously that was there. I mean, it was, there was definitely a foundation of love, and my parents are great. My dad's long past, but and my mom was fantastic. And so you uh, had a good childhood. I had a f- fundamentally wonderfully childhood. I really did. Like I was loved, and and there's also like, in some ways, my older brother. I can think of instances where he served as a father figure. Like if I was crying, he would take me, and we he would walk me around the block. And he would talk me down. You know what I mean? So there's like in wow. big families, it's not uncommon for one of the siblings to sort of serve in moments as a parent, you know? So you get, I, yeah. I got that too. I feel like I've taken over that role as I've gotten older. I've been the parent to everybody. So how many siblings you have or just? I had, my mom had two kids from her first marriage. And then my, she married my dad when she was 23 with a five and a seven year old. He was 18. Okay. And then they got married and then they had me a year later. And then my brother five years later. And and you're sort of uh, a parent to a lot of these siblings. Oh yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm sort of a parent to my mom. I am a parent to my <laughs> to mom. mom. I'm a parent. Yeah, and it, it gets exhausting. I mean, you didn't really have to do that, did you? I mean, you had the love. You had the. They acted like your parents. Like the parents should act because I think that's what happens is that uh, you take over the parental. When they got divorced, my mom was suicidal and uh, would call me up, and I'm trying to do a job, and I'm like, look, can you not kill yourself today? I got a big. I got a long day today. You know, and it was it was it was tough, but I always look at people. I'm like, oh, you must have had the same thing. But I like hearing about normal experiences where your mom was your mom. She didn't always ask you for money. Your dad was your dad. He didn't. How how was that? Uh, I guess in that it was all I knew. It was great. Like it was wonderful. Like uh, yeah, we were just like sort of like a lower middle class middle class family in, in Chicago land. Yeah, outside Chicago and. Uh, I liked having older brothers because they sort of looked out for you as needed. Of course, I got like beat up by them occasionally, of like course. when I was little. And uh, but they did look out for you. And then having sisters was cool. And uh, I think it it's it was great. I mean, I don't really have any sense of what you know because and we all get along still, which is shocking. Wow! And it was know? unconditional love. Your parents were like happy with whatever you were doing. They wanted you to be happy. That's a big because I know you love. weren't you weren't into acting and all that stuff at first. You didn't start improving and all the uh, all the 
you know, serious acting stuff till later, right? You were like yeah. studying psychology or something. I was something. a psychology student in college. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a psychologist and I was, I was curious about that. And I went to Europe for a year cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then, so I was searching a lot, but yeah, I think there was definitely unconditional love and to their credit, like they came and saw some of the worst shows in comedy history. <laughs> And they brought friends and some of it was vulgar. And I'm like, oh my God, why did it? And my brother's like, why did you invite mom? And they're not going to like this. They were old fashioned, you know, Orthodox Catholic mom and dad. They weren't, they weren't going to like a lot of what we were doing in the early days. So what would they so, say after a show that you bombed? Sometimes it would be like my favorite, my mom's so tough. She's amazing. Like you have to read underneath, uh, like the fact that she shows up, she loves me. You know what I mean? I don't need her a hug because it wasn't a lot of hugs. It was like there were uh the affection physical affection was never really there but it was okay right. but she would say things after a show like well you're getting better like that was her take on the show oh well, that's that's nice yeah it is nice but it's a, a little underhanded like that wasn't a great show i don't i don't think i'll come back <laughs> and you knew you're it. getting better yeah and you knew when it's a bad show you know 100 oh, you feel it i remember the first sketch show i did with a group called department of works guys right out of college or like five of us living in a two bedroom in Chicago. Long story short, it was, I think it was like a two hour and 20 minute show with no intermission. Like, what were we thinking? We had no sense of what an audience has to sit there. And my parents, God bless them, invited like 12 people to the show. So they had dinner before and they're like, Maddie's doing, my dad was very enthusiastic about me being an actor. So he was really? like, yeah, Maddie's doing a play. I think he had a penchant for like being an actor, but he there was no world where he could have been. Like he had seven kids, he was never going to be an actor. See, know? we were the opposite. My dad, I remember, I did a play, and I go, "Hey, I was in college, and we went to Denny's afterwards, and I just remember saying, I'm going to be an actor.'" And he said, "Eat your steak." <laughs> that was, he was it. disappointed, or what? I think he was just like, "What are you doing? You're not going to make it as an actor." My 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 whole family was like, "What are you? What are the odds? Come on, what are we doing here? What am I putting you in school for? What are you going to school for? This is what you're doing, but you had a a cheerleader in your father. But this was after college, really, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think part of it was I was the only one in the family truly pursuing it. So I was sort of like this oddity who didn't fit in. So I think the curiosity of it was like, well, I got one kid who's not going into the straight world in a way. You know what I mean? Right, like, I right. think I had that freedom and i was sort of misfitty forever you know they always thought you were funny funny appreciated comedy uh goofy concern for me at times my grandpa's like i don't know what's wrong with that kid <laughs> that's like, what my my grandfather <laughs> would say the same thing he would look at me and go you're a nut yeah <laughs> you're a nut and he meant it like i love you but you, there's something wrong, wrong with yeah. you yeah. yeah there was that element yes which is like in some ways I don't know what sort of pathology we had, but I'm sure there was something there. But what what happened? What was it? You go to Austria or something and you're studying psychology and you're what what was the turnaround? What was like this is not what I need to be doing? What inspired you to get into this? <sighs> inspired well, one thing was doing a variety show in high school. We got to be uh, writing sketches about the teachers and making fun of them. And one teacher really got upset with me and was not happy with how we characterized her. But the sort of bug, I got bit by the bug and the sort I of- I want to know how you characterized her. Her name was uh, Penny. She's probably, God bless her. She was an English teacher. And anyone who teaches is a saint. Like, yeah, absolutely. So I was a challenging student, I'm sure. 
And uh, she was just really strict. And she, I think she probably had some like bipolar stuff happening. She would just get livid and insane about something. Like one time she gave us candy and I didn't like it. And I threw it in the trash can. And then she found it in the trash can and she was crushed. Like somebody had taken her gift and like smashed it intentionally. Oh. And I wasn't doing it to hurt her feelings. I just like, I don't didn't like, like it. So she would overreact emotionally. So I think we characterized her as a psychotic person and an insanely mean woman. So, wow. Uh, so that was one uh, character. So anyways, that was the bug for performing. And then the sort of reception that you get, like people like the next day in school, like, God, you're so funny. That was so great. And you're like, really? I like Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I know I like this. the same thing. I like this. When yeah. somebody acknowledges you, you know, it was for me, it was I did Greece in high school, like everybody. And I remember this popular kid, I've talked about it before, Chris Pro. And he walked by me, in the, and I was the shortest kid in my high school. I, I wasn't popular. And he looked at me and goes, You were really funny last night. And then he fucked off. And I go, Oh my God, I found it. Not being me is the way to go being someone else portraying a you know being a different part being in it it it, it something somehow resonated so i think that was where that that insecure weird little me kind of said hey you're going in the closet and i'm gonna take over <laughs> you know what I interesting mean? yeah well that affirmation is what you were probably seeking right that elevated like you know approval from someone you didn't Always. really care I never about. Never got it. Never yeah. got it as a kid. Yeah. Like you got it. That was so important. Like to hear my dad ever say, like, I just got like this is therapy for me, if you noticed. This becomes sort of therapy sometimes. But um, I got a card from my dad, Ryan, for my birthday. And in the card, it's the first time ever he put, I just want you to know I'm proud of the man you've become. <gasps> That's beautiful. And boy, did it. I'm 50 years old, and it nearly brought me to tears. I was like, I've never heard any of this. I've never heard I'm proud of you. I'm so, uh, you know, I'm, I love you. N never. And that is really difficult growing up, not hearing those things, those affirmations, and because you doubt yourself. If you don't have the ones that are taking care of you, give you unconditional love and support and all that, you got to find it somewhere else. And so I found it in... Chris Pro, hey, you were really good last night. So you were really good in doing sketch comedy or whatever you did it in high school. Just one show, yeah, one for like show. a week. That was for me the bug, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting generation though. Like my dad 
who's no longer with us. I don't know. He would be 88 or something. Now. Was that a tough loss? It was many years ago. Now it was probably seven years ago. He was, he had battled cancer for like 10 years. So we had a good 10 years, but uh, yeah, he was like the classic big fish salesman, great talker, you know, love to tell stories. You'd hear the same stories. He was that guy a little right. bit, but he was a wonderful character, bigger than life guy. So, uh, yeah. He was a big part of the the whole family, right? But what was the what was the one eighty? What was the switch from you know? Because you you said you did this thing in high school, but now you're off studying psychology. And was it an improv show, or did you see a movie, or did you see something that go? You know, I want to give this a shot. I took one. I was so you're you're a little braver than me because I think I was like kind of lost in sports. I wasn't. Po- I wouldn't characterize myself as popular. But I could make people laugh at a party. Right. But I wasn't popular. I would. Ne- I was like a geeky Napoleon Dynamite looking kid. You know what I mean? Like, did so, you get laid a lot? No, no, God, no, 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 no. I was very shy, very shy. And uh, the turning point, I guess, was like seeing either. I think I saw a touring company, a Second City, come through my college, and I think I took an acting class in. Uh, at uh, my junior year in college and I was curious to get that affirmation from an acting teacher like oh you're good at this and so that was that was another turning point because he did give me affirmation he's like oh you're good at this which I wanted to hear and I was you know fortunate enough to hear and I wasn't brave enough to be in acting like in Greece in high school yet like I give you credit for that. Like you it were like, fuck it. It took a lot. I was scared as shit. Yeah, yes. exactly. To like really commit to it. And like all my friends were jocks and I wasn't like a meathead jock. I wasn't that athletic, but I love sports and stuff. Right. And I love my friends, but it was a different track. It would have really separated me on a track in my mind. And I don't think I was ready for that yet. So that was part of the searching. So, and then the real thing I think is a friend of mine, my last year in college said they teach these improv classes downtown in chicago so i would drive my last year of college i would drive downtown take a class and come back out to college what was it called Do you remember? it was a place called uh players workshop of second city and it was the only place teaching improv at the time did you have to audition for it no it was just a class just a class they take your money and try to teach you the fundamentals of like almost like viola spolin game playing and like early theater stuff and it was really like i said i did a variety show i did one acting class and then I was an improv. I had very little experience like in formal training yet. You know what I mean? So then you started to fall in love with this. I fell in love with improv, which just made me like chase it forever. The, the idea of creating and writing on your feet was just mystical to me. And that led me into theater when I graduated. And I was doing psychology for the first couple of years right out of college. What were you doing in psychology? I worked on an adolescent psych ward, Northwestern Hospital with disturbed adolescents for two years. And I was taking like graduate school. I was thinking I was going to be a psychologist. What was that like? It was intense. It was it was really educational and intense, like a lot of disturbed kids, a lot of uh, medication that was like, you know, this is like 1989, let's say. So like yeah. early Ritalin and early Zoloft and they're experimenting with drugs to get kids normalized and then you'd see schizophrenia or you'd see eating disorders or you see kids with suicide or you'd see like court-ordered gangbangers who's you know the judge says you can either go to psyche val or you can go to prison juvie and they're like I'll go to psyche val and then you know so you get every kind of population in there wealthy 
poor public aid kids, you know, Rockefeller kids, essentially. Like, so you got everything in there. So it was fascinating, 100% something that was too challenging that once I was exposed to it, I'm like, this is too hard. It was too much for you? Yeah. You didn't want to do it anymore? Because the responsibility of helping someone is too great. Like, if you mess that up, they could kill themselves or they could, it could go really wrong. Like, if you misdiagnose, if you don't get, because you saw it as, I was just like on the nursing staff as a mental health worker, kind of working my way up to like be a psychologist. I wasn't really doing treatment plans for anyone, but you process emotion with every kid and you try to treat them therapeutically. It's like a camp counselor vibe, you know? It was draining. So draining because you're awash with pathology when you come home at the end of the day. So that would do that during the day. And then at night I would go out and do comedy in bars. <laughs> so I had like what two lives. Yeah, like. And like two, I was living two days. I would, it was crazy. And you, what was the first, the first time you felt like I'm funny, I've got this. <laughs> I am, I, how many classes in what, what happened where you felt like I've got to go full throttle and what did you do? The, the bug or the juice that hit me or the crack was like, I don't know, three or four classes into my first level one improv at Players Workshop. I ended up doing a scene with a, who became a friend of mine, this guy, Kevin Ervick. And uh, we like sustained a three minute scene that made everyone in the class laugh. And it was as if we were able to finish each other's sentences. And it's as if we knew where the scene was going. And that to me was mind blowing. Like I couldn't imagine how that happened. And so I was chasing that. I was trying to understand how to do that again. Right. And what, when did, I mean, how many years later did, uh, did UCB start? Uh, UCB probably started loosely a couple years later, like in various incarnations. And then the four of us moved to New York and, like, and that was Amy like, Poehler, Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, and myself. Right. Um, and then we moved to New York in like 96 In 96. And then I met Michael and then and you my met, life changed. You, you met me, you met me in the office. Yeah. I met you in the office and you were like, getting coffee for dave minor i think at the time <laughs> i probably was and these uh and these guys represent a lot of comedy studs now are yeah. you who are you with now uh i just have an agent i don't have a manager anymore yeah no managers became it's like what do you need you need a manager do you have a you manager a, no no but i for years i had a manager 15 percent, an agent 10 percent, a publicist five percent a lawyer five percent it's like what am i making any money here i know i don't have a manager but i do have i need an accountant like a I'm terrible that way. And I need, occasionally I get a publicist if I have to promote something. Right. And then an agent. You need an agent. You don't have, you have, you must have an agent. I have an agent. Yeah. yeah. You have to have an agent. Yeah. Well, you started, I mean, I, the likability factor on you is really high because you get cast. Can we search my likability on the internet? Well, is there, where do you go for that? Likeability.com? Well, you, you look at these roles. Like Todd Phillips keeps casting you. Like people keep hiring you. Why is that? Well, I think you probably have experienced directors or writers who think you're sort of a muse or someone who's like oh my god i have this other thing michael and i'm thinking of you todd was one of those guys i auditioned for him once what and, was that uh first one was road trip and then also because one of todd's co-writers was my buddy scott armstrong who i became friends with too so sometimes when scott and todd were writing they would name a character walsh Right. loosely because i have an everyman quality like you can put me in a short sleeve shirt and a tie and i look like i belong there so uh, I think they loosely kept me there. But I would audition for Walsh. I've auditioned for Walsh characters. Characters that are named. Yeah. But, and so it wasn't a gimme. I had to go in and, and, and then my guy in the hangover was Walsh with a V. 
Dr. Walsh Dr. with a V, Walsh. <laughs> which I don't think I had to audition for. But uh, yeah, so I think Todd, long story short, I think he just liked me right away. Like, And also, I think he likes improvisers and he likes to play with it on set. Right. And so I was able to do that with him. And I think we had a good, you know, playfulness. On Road Trip, that is the first time you met him? I auditioned for him in a room before I met him, yeah. And did you impro improvise in the room? I think I took it further. I think I went beyond what was on the page. Like the scene continued and he didn't cut it. So I think that's probably where the improv happened. I didn't feel emboldened to just like throw the script away and just improvise the first time I met him. What's it like being on set and you have the scene? Do you know that with a guy like Todd Phillips, you are going to improvise? And a lot of these guys that hire you, they're, they're expecting Matt Valsh or Matt Walsh to come in and bring something, bring something extra? Do you feel like there's a pressure? No, I don't. I, I personally welcome it if it's if it's what they're looking for. I want collaboration. I want to be able to contribute to the material always. I always have plenty of ideas, which I'm never married to. I don't have a big ego. Like, I have a much better joke. Put that away. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm pitching it in a collaborative way uh always so i love those situations because when you're tight you don't express yourself as well quite honestly not that i can't do a scripted scene as scripted but i also like if i understand the character and the and the camaraderie or the sort of artistic zhuzh is there between you and the director then you can play in a fun way which i think gets you a little extra right do you ever get nervous? Do you ever feel like, wow, there's a lot of heavy? It's like a court reporter. Is this is he doing edit points? <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Okay, it's yeah. In case something goes wrong, and then I have to like go back and say like, when was it, when did that go wrong? I have like oh a, the question when yeah. I leave, like oh yeah. we need we yeah. need this again. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Got exactly. it. okay. Yeah. It's like a court reporter. I don't I don't know <laughs> if I'm depo It's like a deposition. Like is someone. It's after all. Me? It's a bunch of evidence. Has anything ever gone sh to shit? Oh, by the way, first of all. I want to know if anything has ever gone to shit on set where you're improvising and it's not working. Nothing's working. You just, it can't be funny and you feel like that just didn't work. I feel like that's, uh, hmm. Well, at times it doesn't work are when the people sort of in charge of it don't care. Like they're like, just do anything. Then for whatever reason, what you think is funny in the moment doesn't work you know I'll, that's how that's the only way i can explain it so yeah there's been times where they're like do anything like anything like i actually want some leadership and they're like no no do anything like all right and then you just give them all kinds of stuff and then you realize like there wasn't enough there to edit it into something good if that makes sense right so you're doing a movie essentially and you're doing a scene and the director really doesn't know exactly what he wants and he's just like matt just just do something that's a bad sign and you that you never like that i don't think so no like in general it doesn't happen a lot but sometimes and it hasn't happened in a while but yeah sometimes you're in those situations like oh, i really wish there was something you were giving me so i could something like specific carve up or play towards that yeah and who's the best at doing that the best at doing what giving you specificity any good director like lots of good like great scripts give you specificity obviously like if you have great scripts and you're allowed to play a little bit on top of them that's the dream like right veep had that and todd's movies have that and i've done a lot of things with really good scripts that you is get it, to play with yeah isn't it exhausting though you think as an actor you memorize your lines 
You go in there, you deliver, and you go away. But a lot of times on these shows that you see, especially shows with Danny McBride, shows, movies with Todd Phillips, Judd Apatow, you're going to keep doing it. And you're going to keep doing it over and over again. And that seems like it's almost harder to keep going to find something as opposed to just let's get what's scripted. And usually, I guess, when you're filming something that's dramatic, like this new movie, Press Play, it's like, Matt, just deliver your lines. Mm -hmm. Well, that was we were in the in the press play, me and a woman named Christina Chang, who's a great actor. We were a couple and we were sort of comedic relief. Like we had, we got to play like we were post-divorce as our timeline went on, right. which I think is really funny seeing couples who are fresh off a of divorce. So we got to play a little bit comedically. But uh, I, I also think like for whatever reason, drama can be more challenging for someone like, or for me, quite honestly. Really? Like, yeah, because it's, it is, it's not different, but it is slightly different. And it's also like, like if a director says to you, I want you to do drunk, okay? And you were playing it drunk. You did your work, good actor. You did your work. You know where you're at. You do some takes. And then he's like, I want you to be like spastically drunk, like out of your mind, falling down drunk. And you and your heart of hearts go, that's not... That's not where I went ever. Like my instinct was never that guy, right? Right. Are you going to give it to the director? I, I guess you have to, don't you? Right? Yeah. You do. You do. And do you feel in that moment, I missed it. Like, do you feel like, shoot, I did all this investigative work on this character and he's got this take that I never saw. That 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 means I'm a bad actor. Do you have that moment? Uh, I've had moments where I just, I'm like, wow, I'm not give. I, he wants something completely different than what I'm giving him. So I feel fa like I'm failing. That happens to me in drama and that plays on my insecurity. Like if I get notes from a director inside a drama and it's something I missed because I have less experience at it, I think I have less of a foundational like integrity with it. And I'm like, shit, I'm a bad actor. Like, have you gone through those stages? I, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I just did something where like the morning, I'm like, I'm fucking really good actor. And then the afternoon, I'm like, I don't know how to act anymore. I That's, literally don't know how to act. I've had moments where I'm on set, the same thing where bring anything at me, give me any notes, I am on fire. And then there's been times where I'm like, oh my God, everybody's looking at me, I'm embarrassed, I'm terrible. I wanna honestly leave the country, I never should act again. I just, please God, get me out of this, God, get me out of this, God, get me, I swear. And I'm, you're laughing, but I'm really thinking these things in my head. Get me out! I'm laughing because I recognize it. I'm not laughing at you sucker, like you <laughs> you poor bastard. I'm laughing because I just went through that. Like, I get it. It's really? It's hilarious because I think it's, hopefully it's just because of experience. Like I have less experience and confidence in like, pure dramatic stuff do you know what i mean but do you want to do more dramatics i do enjoy it because I, I think you have that i think you can do that i think so too and i'm not like bragging but i think if you can do comedy you can do drama i really that's believe what that. i think i think I comedy is really much that. harder i do think so too and it sounds arrogant but i do because you have like great people like a julia dreyfus who's like playing this emotional moment with her daughter and she's crying about something let's say let's say it's a veep episode i'm thinking of something a moment but in the meantime she's like don't go away because she's got another meeting that she cares more about but now she's back into this emotional <laughs> right. crying moment so she's really 
investing in something emotional, but in the meat, don't let him leave. Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. So you kind of have to do both. You have to ground it in reality so people get lured into the circumstance that you're creating. And then you also have to be able to be funny. So I don't know. Have you had the moments where I'm like, you're like, I am a dramatic actor. Wow, I just nailed that. I Or you watch yourself. Do you watch yourself? I'm not a fan of watching myself. I really? Might, I might peek at a monitor once, like coming into a project to see how they're shooting it and see the framing. And if there's something tricky that I'm not getting, like, this is what I'm doing. I really want you to like hit it here or don't deliver that until, you know, then I'll mechanically, I need to know, uh, I need to look at the monitor. But performance wise, it just puts me in a place where, you know, when I do live theater, I don't look at the faces of the people watching it because that would put me in their head. I sort of look above their heads or I just zone out. You know what I mean? And right. in the same way, I can't look at my own visage when I'm acting because it puts me in my head. It makes me aware of like this thing I'm doing. But if you and I are doing a scene, I can just pretend as best I can that it's really here. But when I look at it, it takes me out of it. Right. So it, there's that. Do you, do you get nervous? I do. Still? I do. What makes you nervous? Big monologues, uh, Shakespeare. I've never done Shakespeare. I don't know that I could handle that. Uh, Big monologues. How long does it usually take you to memorize? Are you a good memorizer? I'm not a great, if I'm in rhythm, like if I happen to be inside a show or a movie and it's like third week and I got my rhythm and character, then I'll, then I'll be fine. But if it's like first week or like first day and I have the chunky monologue first day, that would terrify me. That would be Well, like, you played press secretary, right? Yeah. So didn't you have a lot of monologues? A lot of that you could read, you know, it's just like, all right, I got a bulletin and then you could just have your bullets in there. You could right, because it. that's what they do. They kind yeah, of yeah. like, oh, um, well, yeah. and you would do that. Yeah. So you wouldn't memorize them. You didn't, some things you didn't have to memorize. Yeah. But some things, you know, occasionally you have big monologues, but I feel like Veep was never really in the big monologue world. Very rarely. It was always like repartee and just being bulletproof as somebody insulted you sometimes how is it working with julie louise dreyfus you've you've answered this probably. i know i had to name drop her just so people think i'm a big deal but by she's the great. way she's just like i i i have always had the biggest crush on her yeah, yeah i think she's phenomenal she is she's a force she's the best she really is she's wonderful kind hilarious uh tirelessly wants it to be amazing like she does everything right generous uh a great leader you know i think the the thing with a show or a movie if like number one on the call sheet is a mess or if they're not great then it just goes downhill but if right. she's like atop the list and she's setting the pace it just makes everything like you know flourish i just imagine her always being pleasant on set hi matt how are you good morning <laughs> i don't know that she's like a chipper like good morning great day we're gonna kill it today <laughs> i don't think she's that she's like that no. no i think she's real i think she's just real like she's probably quiet in the morning and worried about her lines just like we are you know what i mean right. like so but yeah have you ever worked with an actor where you are improvising with and you hate this other person's skills they are not vibing with you they are not listening to you and it's just going to hell and you're like you don't know what to do and you feel a little lost and you're hoping the director will say something to that person yeah i think in the in the world of like improv if people are improvising outside of the scene and they're basically doing stand-up and they're not throwing it back at you and they're not building something with you. That's disappointing. That's like, all right, you don't really need, you just turn to the director and you're like, you don't really need me here because he's just, or she's just going to, you know, do their stand-up. So it's like, I don't know why I need to be here. Have you ever gotten upset? Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
And then you just hope that we don't spend too much time on it because they're probably not going to use a lot of it because you want to improvise towards the story. You really want to give them things that the editor will be like, that actually serves a story. We'll get, we'll get that. And sometimes you do movies where they have you improvise all this hilarious stuff to an exhaustive extent, which you mentioned earlier, right. and then none of it ends up in the movie. Is that bl- crushing? It's not crushing, but it's like, uh, I wish they didn't make me think it was going to be in the cut. Right. <laughs> or like yeah. they might use it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do in situations where, because you've, you've directed, you're, you've directed two movies now, yes. right? And you've also been a part of shows like Dog Bites Man, Players, that were short-lived shows that didn't last. Does that, is that something that kind of you can't let go or you let it go immediately and you said hey we did our best or you can you feel it coming uh how do you deal with sort of uh failure maybe i guess it is hard like it is hard like if you make a movie and it's like ah i could have done that better i probably won't watch it you know i can't watch it for a while so that that is hard but you try to look at it and learn from it and then with like a show as you know like you have no power like even if you're a celebrity they'll cancel your show in a second. So it's just like what you're gaining through all of it, hopefully is like a, uh, an expertise in producing, writing, uh, making things better, navigating the process, like experiencing all that. Right. So I guess you just try to take away whatever experience you can get from those things. But it, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing and it is hard. Sometimes you, you can, yeah, you can like lick your wounds a little long, I guess. Who? What's the one thing that you had to do that where you're like, you know, I have to. I'm. I'm this is going to take me a minute to get over. What is the thing that made me get over? I don't know. I'm trying to think. That's a really good question. Uh, put that on the list to get back to right. <laughs> get back because I'll, I'll be multitask. So- I mean, I really. I'll multitask. I, <laughs> the thing that really. Beyond like some girl that broke up with me when I was like twenty two. Could be anything. Well, I mean, I've had that. I've had I've had that too. Sure. But like I had a show that I did. It lasted two years. It was uh, decent ratings. Uh, reviews are pretty good. And then they canceled it. And then they just said, "This is not what our network is looking for." Yeah. And I remember going, "Hey, thanks for the work. Appreciate it." And I didn't think it bothered me. I thought I was good with it. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like, man, that was a really good gig. I was really lucky to be a part of it. That. And it just got kind of got down. I'm like, what was it? Is it me? I guess so. I'm the lead. <laughs> you know, you start to doubt yourself. And uh, have you done that? Yeah, I guess I can't think of the specific project. Or maybe I'm too guarded about maybe it. Maybe you're too great. No, no, no. I, I have those moments. But like, I don't know. The thing that like I probably hung on to too long, I think, is what you're describing. I don't know. I can't think of it. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, by the way, do you remember? Because you remember specifically when your parents came to the worst shows ever. Yes. Do you remember when they came to the show where you were like, fuck yeah? Well, it was always things that they would appreciate. Like if I did a British mystery show, my mom would be in heaven. Like (laughs) she would be like, that's the premium entertainment (laughs) there could possibly be. It's like an interesting detective who has a British accent who's solving a mystery every week oh my god my mom would just be like i'd be her favorite child did you do that a lot that character huh 
Was I've never something? done it. Oh, but you I, haven't? I've never done it. Oh, I thought maybe it's no. something that you No. Because <laughs> I want to see that character. No, I, I, I sometimes think I should write a mystery just to please my mom because she's always watching British shows. She's always <laughs> watching mysteries. So in some ways, I'll never measure up to her like sense of what, you know, exalted theater can do or exalted television can right. do like she kind of liked veep but i think she might have found it a little vulgar at times or whatever or it wasn't her cup of tea perhaps was there something though that she was like i really you were great i can't think of it you know the, god damn it. i'm serious too like i but you don't i like you perhaps didn't really get it like i wasn't gonna get it from that generation like yeah, yeah i think yeah. it's of the school of like oh if you tell your kids you love them too much they'll be soft <laughs> they'll be yep, like they won't be hungry yep. they won't be ambitious they got to be toughen up and make it on their own or something you know what i mean there's yeah. a little whatever that eisenhower era mentality is that bled into all of our you know upbringing perhaps there wasn't that elevated understanding of the you know speaking love and doing that for people is really valuable and it won't tarnish them and it won't make them soft so right. i don't know that i ever got like my mom's raving review and she kept bringing it up but i do remember the things that like just doing a commercial early on where she could tell her friends matt's on a commercial like she liked being able to see things that her friends could see do you know what i mean yeah so if it's like if it's a commercial for true value heart he's on that true he was on a super bowl commercial he's that commercial was on like she, she likes loved that. doing that she likes to have things so really anything that wasn't i don't know r-rated that she could tell her friends about she probably <laughs> right. liked now is there something because i know you don't watch yourself a lot but is there something you could at least appreciate now? You watch it. There's like, you know, when you when you came up in a movie, in a Todd Phillips movie or The Hangover or something where you, you just killed it and it's something that you go, you know what? You could at least look at that and say, Matt, you nailed it. You're funny. You're really funny in that. Well, I don't really go back to my work ever. Like, I think I watch everything once or I haven't yet. And... <laughs> Right. uh maybe when i'm 80 and we're in the old folks home for motion picture actors we'll we'll do it michael you and i all right uh but my uh i did i'm one of those guys who's doing a rewatch podcast me like too it, okay it started uh wednesday called talkville it's about rewatch smallville i'm doing one with tim simons called second in command which will we did the first half we'll be coming back soon enough sweet but that has caused me to go through every episode of veep and I'm like, oh, I did a good job. I like that. That was really? a good performance. Yeah, I don't hate it. Like, and I and I and I also can watch everything. Like, I can watch other people and like, because I think as an actor, sometimes you're myopic and you're like, I got to get this monologue writer. I got to get this scene writer. I got to get like, you know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. you're you're a little just focused on your scene, and then you see this beautiful show when it's all packaged together, and you can really enjoy it as a fan. Like, I'm sure you can watch the whole show now. And not just see yourself, but like, oh my God. Yes. He was true. great. She was great. Yeah. And, and not that you didn't appreciate other people before, but I think we're burdened with our nervousness to deliver. And some of that comes from insecurity. Some yeah. of that comes from ego. Some of that is just like, it's human beings trying to do a good job and everybody has that. Right. So it's refreshing to go like five years after whatever the last episode of Veep was out to go back through the first, I think we've gone through the first three and watch them and not feel anything but like wow that's a great show that was really good and and to also literally be removed and watch it as a fan is amazing will you have guests on that show yes we do we try to get every week we'll try to get anybody that who came through the show one of the regulars tony's been on julia's been on 
Sam's been on. Is that a lot of fun to go back it and is. rehash? It is. Do they actually go back and watch or they you don't? No, we don't watch. Work? We just sort of have talking points and we'll hit the plot and then we'll just go anywhere. Subject matter can go anywhere. We just have it be a conversation. You ever been intimidated by someone you're working with? <sighs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Like any it. big actor came on set and you're like, oh, fuck. These are big pointed questions. Um, <laughs> names, 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 I, names. Intimidated. Well, I think Hugh Laurie coming into Veep was a big moment for me. I was intimidated by him because he's a consummate, amazing, dramatic, comedic guy. Yeah. Uh, there was also a director on Veep named Chris Morris. I don't know if you know him. No. He directed these really subversive shows called The Brass Eye, and he was sort of, uh, I was way uh, intimidated by him because he has this very aggressive, almost like Sasha Baron Cohen prank-style comedy that was an early, probably influenced Sasha and a lot of stuff that happened over here. So he was just someone I was intimidated by. Those are two names that come to mind. Who are the best improvisers that you see out there now? That you, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of great improvisers, but who are the ones that you're like, these are my favorite? Well, there's like guys, like old school guys, like a guy, Dave Pesquese, who is always great. Cause he, when I started, I was a freshman, he was a senior at the second city sort of pool of talent. And he's kind of like a good dramatic actor, but he's really good improviser. So he's someone that like, I have a lot of respect for still, or, or that I know still improvises and is really great. Um, I think a lot of the guys I just play with are great. Like, I don't know, like anybody that's uh i don't really improvise anymore actually because that's you know just not something i have time for or with the theater we don't do the theater anymore but so. it's still around upright citizens Brigade. well we don't have anything to do with it no you don't no we have nothing it go. to do with it nope. when did you let that go during covid shut down and never was that hard back. yeah that was a hard one yeah we had to get rid of it that was a hard one when you say like things that like ended and you're like ah oh, i wish i could have made that last longer or i wish was it me you know i had to do some examining around that and also when i put it down i'm like oh thank god that was a nightmare headache to manage because <laughs> right. it was like 20 years we were trying to keep a theater afloat what do you miss about it what do you miss about the going gym up night shows? the pickup shows the sunday night improv with people just doing a good it's like pickup basketball it's like amazing it's really keeps you fresh and smart and you laugh your ass off and it's good for your health you like literally expand your lungs and and you also creatively chase these premises that you would never come up with on your own. Right. What's next? What else are you doing? You got the press play. Oh, Zach Woods is a great improviser. He's someone that- Zach Woods. Yeah, he's he's so eloquent. Yeah. So what's next? What's you got next? A, you got the podcast. We got the uh, second in command. Second in command. Promotion, promotion. Um, you got to promote. You got to no, promote. No, no, I know. You're right. Uh, I should start bragging about myself. Brag. Brag. I just finished this show called, which isn't coming back, but it's called, um, it's on the CW, which you're probably familiar with that mm -hmm. network. Uh, would I lie to you? It was like a fun panel show where two teams try to lie to each other. That oh, was nice. a blast. I shot that, but that's gone. Um what the hell is going on? There's a movie called Unplugging that's out on demand now. You can watch it. I wrote it and co-starred it with uh, Eva Longoria. Oh, wow. Yeah, really proud of that. You directed it? No, no, just uh, wrote it, co-starred uh, uh, with Eva. We play a couple who puts their devices down for a weekend and just it goes bananas. They can't handle it. <laughs> is it hard being a writer when someone else is directing you? 
when you have written the 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 stuff depending on the director if the director thinks they're a better writer than you then it is hard but if you get a director who's like collaborative and like sort of defers to some moments that like you guys probably have this then it works great if they're focused on other things like visuals and things like that if it's collaborative basically right all right this is called shit talking with matt walsh this is uh these are my patrons go to patreon.com slash inside of you to support the podcast these these folks do it and they get to ask some questions and i appreciate you thanks become a patron i'll write you back uh these are fast you can just spit them out if you want these are questions from your questions from my, my patrons right? yeah your patrons the people patrons. who support the show Sp- support the podcast Got it. Okay, so they get the to podcast. ask some questions so we just narrowed it down thank and, you and ryan. these are the questions for you you didn't do it i'm sure ryan did this uh you, know, you didn't do any work uh, what are you talking show. about you just man? rolled I, in and i made, am reading you made me coffee you were a good host i'm a reader okay you're reading it leanne veep any funny behind the scenes stories you would sh- like to share did you take any props home from set uh i kept my watch so mike wore a watch in every episode and i it was actually a watch my grandpa gave me, so I took that back. And then I have a giant, uh, I don't know, it's like a 200-pound piece of plexiglass that says CBS News with Mike McClintock. And Dave Mandel, the head writer, is like, who's a total memorabilia geek? He saves Star Wars gear. He has like a Me too. Look around Boba you. Fett. Yeah, he has like a <laughs> Boba Fett mask, and he has like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, clip from, whatever. what's this called? This what do you call this thing when you go take two what's that called uh, uh what, do you, what do you call this slate things? slate slate he has an original from like raiders and stuff wow so he's like you got to keep this thing i'm like it's like 200 pounds and it's like eight feet by eight feet and he's like you got to do and i'm like all right i guess so he arranged and i had the prop guy delivered to my house i don't know what i'm going to do with it but i have that leanne <laughs> emily asks what's been your most favorite role to do so far in your career well, it's such a cop out, but I love any role that I can help write. So anything from Veep to Sketches and Upright Citizens Brigade to Dog Bites Man to Todd Phillips movies, like, you know, uh, anything where I'm able to like contribute, I'm super psyched about. Awesome. Michelle K. Matt, since you're a Chicago native, deep dish, regular, or thin crust pizza? Thin. All right. Kelly S., I think you're hysterical. Kelly, you did a great job on Veep. How many times did you have to redo a scene because you burst out laughing? <laughs> just a couple. I got pretty good at not laughing, but just a couple. Is there someone who does, does she laugh a lot? Julia, Julia, little no. Julia's pretty pro. She tries to like. Tony was weak. Tim could be weak. <laughs> um, those would be the two gigglers probably that come to mind. Does it upset you when you're just killing something and it's so funny and people are laughing? No, I'm I'm a fan of the I I love a good just burst out like I love a good gag reel I love a good crack up like that's so much joy oh, I don't well. get mad um, <laughs> unless we were like blowing up a car and we only had one car and then they <laughs> laughed and ruined it then I yeah. guess I'd be mad but ultimately it's just dialogue we can get we'll get it you right. know all right Danny what has been the busiest year of your life to date and how did you manage it I feel like in the Veep years when we were like doing seasons back to back and like maybe flying to Baltimore and then coming home and like. Were you exhausted? Yeah, it felt like, and it sounds ungrateful, but it felt like a, a the the sort of, uh, you know, the party scene, not the party scene, like it sounds like cocaine, but like 
Emmys isn't just the Emmys. It's like the parties around the Emmys. And then if you get nominated, you're doing that. And then you're doing publicity for that. And so some of those seasons in the middle, I found really hectic and wonderfully grateful for all of it. Ray H., what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Ray H., I have a buddy named Ray H. I wonder if it's him. My greatest accomplishment? It's a woman. Ray is a woman? Ray okay. is a woman. Sorry. Oh, how sexism. <laughs> is Kelly a woman or a man? Uh, Kelly is a woman. Okay. Um, my biggest accomplishment? Greatest accomplishment. Greatest accomplishment. Without saying your kids and your wife. Yeah, that's a good one. That's 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 where I would go. Yeah. Uh, pass. Do you want to pass on that one? Well, I'm sorry, Ray. <laughs> like, because I feel I like love it. you're just so matter of fact. Pass. Yeah, pass. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to be cornered on that <laughs> one. <laughs> Because this goes down in the historical record. This podcast will live for infinity. My kids will stumble on it and they'll be like, why didn't you say me? Or why didn't you say this? Do your kids think you're funny? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. They're fun. I think they probably think I'm corny or something. Is your wife funny? She Morgan? Is. She is funny. She is funny. She makes yeah. you laugh. She does. Do you make her laugh? I do. Still to this day. And you've been married how long? I don't know how long we've been married. 13 years, 15, 13 years we've been married, been together 17. Uh, yeah, I still make her laugh. How do you know when you, you were with the right one? Oh my God. What is it? What is, is it? this from you or from the list? This is from me, man. Are you married? Can I ask <laughs> no, you some questions? I'm You're not. not. Ask me anything you want. Are you settled? Are you with someone? No. What's the longest long-term relationship? A couple years. Two years. And with that two year, with I'm sure, I'm assuming you probably had a couple two year relationships, yes, right? Yes, sure. What was it about those two that made you stay in it? What was special about those two? Um, I just felt really comfortable, like I could just be me, like I could really just be the fucking lazy shitty me. You felt you could be honest. I did, and I lost those people, those women, those great women, but it was my own problem, my own fault. But I answered my own question. I've, I've, I've had opportunities. I just need to not let another one pass me up, I guess. But what, what do you know? How do you, what is it about you in a relationship that makes you feel like Morgan's right for me? I think it's luck. I think the serendipity of like meeting someone at the right time is what it's about. I think like the fact that Morgan and I are still together and we have three kids and you know, we're probably be knock on wood, we'll be together forever. Um, I think it's the luck of meeting each other when both of you are relatively healthy and willing to be your ugly selves. That's what it is. I think for me it was, and I think probably for her cause she had her shit together too. And I don't know that I had my shit together, but I was also kind of over trying to be someone else. And so I think that plays because that creates momentum. And then once you're in it and you're invested in it and you realize like, oh, she's got my back and like, eh, I am, I should probably work on myself. And then you like, then the momentum carries you. But like the beginning and like the awesomeness of it all, I think you have to get a little lucky with where you're at and where with the other person's at. I do. Right. I think that's the biggest for me. That's what made a difference. Yeah. And you've shown her your ugly colors. Oh my God. I, every day. Jesus. She, <laughs> she's a little disappointed. She's probably regretting it at this point. She's like, oh my God. Oh, come on. I knew you were ugly, but not this nasty. 
Uh, Christy, last question. What's your biggest pet peeve? <gasps> That's a good question, Christy. Pet peeve. These are ticky tacky, but one is, you know how when you're like getting off the plane and it parks and then they got to like unlock the door and they got to secure the things and tie the handles down and then you can get up and leave and, and you see people like race up and cut in front and just like they want to be the first as if they're the only ones who have a busy day ahead of them and the truth is like they might take five spots they might get up five rows but they're gonna wait too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's just something that like it it does i'm such a small person and i realize too like sometimes people do have a connecting flight and I don't know, but it just, it's just one of those like human nature things. I'm like, that just bugs me. I'm like, do you really, first of all, you're not really, you might get four rows. You might get three. You're not getting mine. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not, you're get not mine. getting mine. No, you're not. I'll get my bag out there. I'll get my body out there and I'll just be like, <laughs> I guess we're waiting until the door opens. And sometimes it's not even for me. It's for other people. Like they're cutting off other people. It's not, I'm not so like. You don't do this to me. I'm like, everybody's in this. Come I on. think that's very fair. That irks me too. Right? I think that's, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then like, uh, just not a fan of Carl's Jr. in general. <laughs> that's a pet peeve of yours? <laughs> not Carl's a pet peeve, Jr. but just like, make it right or don't do it. <laughs> I don't know. It's just there's nothing there. <laughs> that came out of left field. <laughs> that was great. Uh, this, this has been a real treat for me. I, got, I yeah. feel like I got to know you. I yeah. appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you today. Whoa. I mean, that's how we roll. That's personal. I didn't know you were going to get inside me, but I felt you were gentle. So yes, thank I, you. I tried to be. You I were. Tried to be. Ryan, did you get all this? I did. Got Good. all of it. Anything we need to go back on? Uh, your I'm sorry, greatest you're accomplishment. The <laughs> no. <laughs> Remember I believe it was the greatest accomplishment. Uh, my God. I met Michelle Obama once. I don't know. Did you really? Yeah, we met her uh, between the West Wing and something. She was running between buildings in D.C. Was she sweet? Yeah, she was lovely. Brief. So, so brief. But she was lovely. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Now I'm going to take in your room. We're done. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. So funny. So funny. So naturally funny and, and open and, you know, just to, hearing different perspectives from different people about their life and how they handle things and how they handle stress and how they, mm-hmm. how they started. And, you know, he, uh, he wasn't, uh, he didn't think he was going to get into comedy and he didn't get into it till late. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a great story. So thank you. Um, also, thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash um, inside of you and uh, join the family. Join the family of patrons who support this podcast. And I'll send you a message soon, right after you join. And um, a lot of perks and cool stuff there. And of course, the Inside of Online store, merch. And uh, I'll be in Boston this weekend with Tom Welling, 12th, 13th, and 14th, doing a small little nights and uh signing autographs and it's always nice to see you guys see your faces there um and part of the uh great perk of being a patron is the the shout outs at the mm-hmm. end of the episode and that's what we do now 
we give shout outs to everybody, the top tiers who give the most to the podcast. And that's what we're going to do right now. And, and, and uh, Ryan's got it pretty much memorized. Oh, yeah. Do you think you still have it memorized? Nope. No. <laughs> There's some new ones. Uh, Nancy. D. Leah. S. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. U. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Nico. P. Robert. C. Nope. Close. Uh, B. Robert B. Jason. Yeah. W. Sophie. R. M. Dan. Raj. C. J. Joshua. D. C. J. P. Jennifer. N. 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 I said N. Okay, you did. Stacy. L. Jamal. F. Janelle. B. Kimberly. E. Mike. E. Eldon. Supremo. Eldon Supremo. 99. More. Ra. Mira. Santiago. M. Chad. W or D. W, you're right. Leanne. P. And Maya. P. Maddie. S. Belinda. N. Chris. H. Dave. H. Sheila. G. Brad. D. Ray. H. Tabitha. T. Tom. N. Liliana. A. Yes. Talia. N. M. M. Correct. Betsy. D. Chad. D. L. L. Marion. Meg. K. Angel. F. M. M. Rhiannon. C. Corey. C. K. K. Dev. Nexon. Michelle. K. A. Jeremy. C. Andy. D. T. Gavinator. Correct. Mm-hmm. David. R. C. John. C. B. Damn. Brandy. L. D. Yev. <laughs> Four. Camille. N. S. Damn it. The. C. Joey. Fatone. Joey Fatone. Yeah. Joey M. Design. OTG. Eugene and. Uh, Leah. Nikki. P. G. These are the tough ones. These are the bottom yeah, ones. Yeah, we're, we're getting into some. Into some. All right, it's Corey, uh, Katie B, Patricia, Heather L, Jake B, Megan T, Mel S. You did really good. Really, yeah, really you. good. Mel S, Orlando C, Caroline R, Christine S, Sarah S, Eric H, Jennifer R, Shane R, Emma R, Jeremy V, Andrew M, Robert G, Zatoichi, 77. Cool. I just talked to Satoichi on the Patreon. I know I messed it up again. Andreas N, Alexandra, Chris R, Michael F, Samantha W, Michael or Michelle D, and Amanda R. And those are the top tier patrons. Those of you who really help the podcast, uh, appreciate you. Good talking to you on the Patreon last night. and uh, Or maybe it was last week because this is recorded a little later. But um, hey, I, uh, I really appreciate you. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Um, I guess that's it, Ryan. Mm. I guess that's it for today. A lot of great so. guests coming up, though. All right. Yeah. I'm a little tired today. Yeah. 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 Just a little out of it. Yeah. You know, we got another podcast to record. You know, new month. New month. <laughs> new month. Um, but it's all good. It's all going to be good. Tomorrow's a new day. Make the most of today. Um, from the hollywood hills (laughs) in california i am michael rosenbaum i'm still ryan tayas yeah a little wave to the camera we love you guys thanks for being you be good to yourself and we'll see you next week thank you for listening (laughs) 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.